This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 903. What's going on, everyone? I am David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast. Today, here with my partner in crime, Rob Abasolo. How's it going, Rob? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm tired. I woke up at 5:30 today. I've started the routine again. I'm back on the grind, but you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel because we've got a great show today where we're going to be featuring an investor who is successfully investing in multifamily today in 2024. And in today's show, you're going to see Rob put on his diva hat as we dive deep into a topic that most people are afraid to get into. Today's guest, Brian Adamson, shifted from single-family rentals into multifamily investing at a time when others consider it risky to invest in that asset class. Yeah, we're going to cover how to be successful in multifamily today and how to look at markets to invest in. We're also going to address the big old elephant in the room, which is funding in the multifamily space and some of the ticking time bombs that might be lurking around the corner for this niche in real estate. And we're also going to get into the nitty gritty of the numbers on deals that Brian is currently doing in markets that he thinks will be profitable in the multifamily space for the next couple of years. That's right. We've got awesome content for you. Brian is going to be sharing how much he likes to pay for door, what he wants the ARV on that to be, when he exits deals versus when he keeps them, what markets he invests in, as well as the rents that he's looking for on the properties that he's buying. This is some great stuff. So if you've been looking for an opportunity in real estate, there's probably not a better one than in the commercial spaces. Everybody else is afraid to get into that asset. So we've got what you need on today's episode of the Bigger Pockets Podcast. Let's get into it. Brian Adamson, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Now you've been in the real estate game for a long time now. Me too. So let's talk. What strategies are working for you in today's market? So I did, you know, Fix and flip wholesale for many years. I bought single family at the start of my career back in 2006. And then most recently, the last few years, I've been buying commercial multifamily. And so started out buying semi-occupied units and then we'll come in and reposition them. And um, after the rent moratorium in my specific market, it was taking six, eight months to get people out. And so I'm like, well, I can't pay for them to live there for free and then still have my have to do my reposition. So I switched up my strategy and started buying vacant units. We come in, do the renovation, put our people in from day one. And so that's what we've been doing the last 18, 24 months to date. I like that you said commercial multifamily because it removes the confusion between are we talking two to four units or five units plus because both sides <laughs> use the phrase multifamily. I've had entire conversations where I thought they were talking about big apartments and they were talking about triplexes the whole time. So thank you. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a unicorn. I do both. And so I make sure I delineate which one I'm talking about for that very reason. Let's talk about first off, give me an overview of what your portfolio looks like right now. And then I'm going to dig in on some specifics. So right now I've got about 120 units. I got a small tranche of two to four units, maybe got a single family or two in there. And then mainly though is I got a couple six unit buildings. I got a couple 16 unit buildings. I got a 20 unit, a 40 unit and uh, 12 buildings and total properties. Thank you, bro. Properties in total. Uh, with 120 units. Now, I want to definitely hear why you are buying multifamily when everybody is running away from multifamily. That's interesting. But I also understand that like me, you are an out-of-state investor. So where do you live? Where do you invest? And why did you pick that market? For sure. So I live in Orlando, been here for the last almost 14 years, and I invest in Detroit. Now, many people think I invest in Detroit because that's where I'm originally from. However, that's not the case. It just so happened to be a great market with great equity positions and great cash flow positions. And so unlike investing here in Orlando, while it may be sexy to say I invest here, 
um, the, the, the margins just aren't there. You know what I mean? With respects to the yield that I get investing in the Midwest. And so when you develop good systems and processes and accountability measures, you figure out that you're susceptible to the same things going wrong eight blocks away as you are 800 miles away. And for me, if the risk are all the same, then I'm going to go where the highest potential yield is. And so that's why I've uh, invested from afar the way that I have. I think you and I need to write a book for Bigger Pockets: Eight Blocks, Eight Hundred Miles, and Eight Mile Road. How I picked Detroit and why it rocks. There are gems and areas that you would typically think of, like Detroit. Back in the Josh Dorkin days, people uh, definitely dumped on Detroit as a terrible market. But you're making it work. Is there a certain local market knowledge that you have that you know where to invest in and where not to invest in because you live there? Or do you think that the, the gentrification, the money that's moved in there, if people aren't aware, a lot of mortgage companies moved in when the auto industries left and they brought a lot of jobs and opportunity. Is that why you think Detroit is doing so well? It's a myriad of those factors. It's interesting because when I started in 2006, I was in college, I was a junior and a buddy of mine was flipping houses in like CD class areas. I didn't know what any of that meant. This is all retrospect talk. But he gave me an opportunity to get started with a $6,000 refund check, basically to help cover the, the the down payment for his buyers, right? Essentially gift them the money because they were using stated income loans. And then when he flipped them the house, he gave me a return on my investment, right? And so that's how I got started. And so, and I'm going back to your your your, your previous question, David, about why am I running toward the market when most people are running away? So when I, at that time, I didn't have any education. I was just being opportunistic. I started buying properties with stated income loans my senior year in high school, I mean, in college as well, 2007, obviously 2008 happened. And so while I was upside down on some of those bad investments at that time, I still wasn't jaded. I was so new. I'm like, that's three bad deals. All I know is that this $148,000 house is 29 grand now. I'm going to go do more of these, Right. And so I bought over 20 doors from 2008 to 10 when the market was contracted. And um, just because it just made sense to me, I'm like, I saw a lot of people losing their shirt and running away. But I'm like, if you pick this stuff up, you buy a house for 10 grand and you can make 700 bucks a month. How do you lose? Right. Still didn't have some fundamentals down yet in terms of like <laughs> analyzing deals properly and planning for CapEx and all those types of things. And so. I ended up being affected by that, you know, as those properties started to age and had to get rid of some of the, the portfolio. But my point is kind of that same energy now, right? Looking at what's happening in the market over a trillion dollars in, in, you know, bad debt coming due over the next 24 months or so in the commercial space, probably 600 billion of that in multifamily specifically. But that just to me means there's more opportunity, right? And if you know how to analyze deals, you know how to hire and build good teams and and go from A to Z on the execution, then it's a lot of great opportunity out there right now for operators that are being hurt that need help. All right, stick with us. We'll be right back after this quick break. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rental retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. We need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's not that complicated, Rob. 
Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Let's pick back up right where we left off. Yeah, so that's interesting because it does seem like there's a bit of a ticking time bomb in that specific niche of real estate. And you've known this, and in the last few years, you've decided to scale up into multifamily. So when and why did you make that choice? So June 20th, 2020, first time out the house during the height of COVID, where my family, we went to Clearwater Beach. It was Father's Day, actually. And I was out on the balcony praying, and God, clear as day, told me he wanted me to start investing in commercial multifamily. This didn't make sense to me at that time because I was totally juxtaposed. My whole business plan for that year, so much so when I called my consultant, he told me I was nuts. And um, I was like, bro, I'm telling you, I heard this clear as day. I got to I got to act on it. And so, you know, I went out, started seeking a mentor in that area all because I had done single family for, for 14 years. and had a lot of success. I still believe in education. Right. And so found a mentor when it got some framework and started taking action immediately. Had 136 unit locked up in like 60 days after getting the framework. And so anyway, while that deal didn't work out and I, we don't have enough time for me to go through that whole story, um, it got me in the act of taking action 
And from that deal led to the next one, which was my first one that I closed, which was a six unit deal. And then shortly after that, I closed a 40 unit. And then I just kept buying after that. So previously to the multifamily stuff, you were you said you were doing fix and flips, right? Yeah, fix and flip and wholesale. Cool. All right. So fix and flip wholesales, which are obviously once you're a skilled investor, you're good at one thing, it's probably easier for you to transition to something else in real estate more than someone just breaking into the industry. You decide... Hey, I feel like I'm being, uh, you know, I have to, I, I want to do multifamily. You get into this first property and it didn't work out. Tell us why. What, what was the actual process there? Because I feel like just jumping into 136 unit is something that most seasoned investors wouldn't even do. So <laughs> give us a little bit of a timeline of what happened in that deal. I didn't realize I got to have a therapy session today. Well, thank you, Rob. So what do you see on the cards? Yeah, exactly. It, so it was it was a crazy situation, right? Where I found this deal on LoopNet and I saw that it was in Flint, Michigan, 136 units. They wanted like 5 million bucks for this thing. And I knew it was overpriced. And I just so happened to call the number. Why not? Right. Called the number. Just so happened. The number was to the owner. He lived in Miami. I live in Orlando. We talked a little bit about the deal. And I told him, I said, I'd love to come down there and get knee to knee with you and do lunch. So I drive down to Miami and um, we have a conversation. And he just was like, look, if you're serious, I've had this thing fall in and out of contract a couple of times. If I don't sell it by March, I'm going to lose it to some back taxes. And he was like, if you fly up there, do all your due diligence and you're ready to move forward, then we'll put it under contract. And so I moved in faith. Uh, I, I put, I, I went up, I got my contractors out. We did phase one uh, appraisals, survey, everything. We did all the due diligence on it, walked e all 136 units and, um, and finally got the thing under contract by Halloween. But I was spending tens of thousands of dollars before I even had this thing under contract because I just believed it was that good of a deal. And I got the number down to well under two million bucks because we had like, you know, uh, probably about a four hundred thousand dollar. I'm sorry. It was a four million dollar renovation we would have to do to it, but it would have been worth eight point five. Right. And in that process, because of working on a deal that big, uh, shout out to Mayor Neely. I got to meet the mayor of Flint. Um, he and his cabinet, you know, gave me a ton of support and, um, you know, met former state senators and formed alliances with the local boys and girls club. It was a tremendous thing, right? And it was a faith walk because obviously I'd never done it before, but this is why confidence is only built through competence. I only felt like I could do it because I took the time to invest in myself, get the right support, get the right mentorship network that afforded me enough confidence to keep taking these action steps. And through it all, we got redlined by a couple of lenders. We got pretty close to getting this thing over the finish line twice. But when it got to final committee at both of these different lending institutions, they pulled on it because they didn't like the fact that it was in Flint. Many of them thought that there was still a water crisis, although mass media covered the water crisis, but they didn't cover the other side of it, which was the fact that it was fixed. And I learned that from spending so much time up there that the issue was resolved. And so um, by this time, it's getting close to the time that the owner said that he was going to lose it if he didn't figure something out. And so he ended up taking another contract on it. And those guys that were coming in had the money, but not the infrastructure. So they ended up calling me after I got cut out the deal and wanted me to partner with them. And they were going to bring me in on another 171 units. So the deal turned into almost $24 million worth of real estate, uh, a little over 300 units. And I would have had to move back to Michigan. They were going to pay me a salary. I would have had equity in one of the buildings, but not the other. 
But when I finally got an opportunity to meet their team, they flew to Orlando for, for a final meeting with me. And um, some just didn't sit right, to be honest. Like I saw the dollars, but it was a lot of character things, things that were mentioned during that meeting that just didn't align with me and where I'm at and where I was at in, in life in that time. And um, I went to, uh, told him, give me a week. Let me think about it, pray about it. And just so happened, I got invited to this mastermind in Miami and Jeff Hoffman was there. And we sitting in this small set, small room, this intimate setting. And Jeff was just talking about how this billionaire was pursuing him to do a deal on a private island. And he was like, he was, he wasn't interested. And the guy put a, a flew his private jet to pick Jeff up in Orlando. And Jeff was like, what part of I can't be bought? Don't you understand? And so somebody in the room asked Jeff, like, why were you so upset with the guy? He said, because we, our company culture is we only do business with people if we can ask ourselves, are they one of us? And so for me, I felt that confirmation in my spirit at that time that that was my answer. So I got back that Monday. I called the guys. I pulled out of the deal. The very next day is when I got the 40 unit apartment building that I that I eventually ended up closing. So let, let me let me backtrack a little bit here, because you said something that's really interesting to me that I don't want to gloss over. I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily know how to close this loop. So you mentioned the deal was roughly about two million bucks somewhere in there, and you were going to need to put in four million dollars in renovations. So we're at six million total, and as a result, it would be worth eight million. So you're adding two million dollars in value. Why is why is it now worth two million dollars more after the renovations? Where where does the actual like what kind of metrics play into getting that much money out of a property? For sure, for sure, that's a great question, Rob. So eventually, essentially, we would have you know did the capex. We would have did we'd have done a reno, but with that would have afforded us the ability to then increase rates. Right. And so once we increase the rents and the occupancy, then our NOI would have increased. And then our NOI, which is our net operating income divided by the cap rate in that area, would have then given us our new evaluation and added that that value to the property. Yeah, that's really interesting because you mentioned you got some appraisals on the property. Were the appraisals that you got based on the actual real estate the actual building improvement on the land, or was were the appraisals based on NOI and the cap rate and all that good stuff. Yeah, so we did both. We did a as-is appraisal, which was part of my leverage for getting the price down, right? Based on what he put a hat out there on the internet, and um, and then we did a as-complete with the income income approach as well as the sales comparison approach. So you know, on these types of assets, you look at it from two different ways. You look at it from the income approach as well as the sales comparison approach, which is your cost per door versus what the actual thing is producing from an income basis. Now, I'm going to ask you the question every investor hates. So work with me here. Uh, we're going to try to get as specific of an understanding of the numbers as we possibly can. You're not, nobody go blow up Brian and say, he said 40 a door and I found out it was 41 a door. So don't worry about that. But if we're looking at someone who wants to buy a deal similar to this one, What's the price per door that you're trying to get? And I've got a series of questions to ask you like that. So I won't talk about, about the one that I didn't do, right? That's the one we were just talking about in Flint. But in my in my local market in Detroit, I want to be all in at no more than 45000 a door. And that's with the acquisition as well as the, the improvements that we have to do to the property. 
so that I could potentially exit at 60,000 a door or more at some point. Beautiful. So in a sense, this is kind of like a burr or a flip where the acquisition is what you're paying for the property and the improvements would be like your rehab budget. So you want to be all in for $45,000 a door and you want to try to bump the ARV to 60,000 a door so you could sell. Now, are you buying these deals with other investors? I am. Yeah. Yeah. So I, most of my deals, I try to look for partnerships first. And then, um, you know, I'll put my money in if I have to, but I've been fortunate to to raise a lot of capital. Now, you may keep the property, of course, but you want to know that you could sell it if the partners wanted to get their money out, if uh, interest rates weren't in a favorable position, if you had a better place to put that capital. So that doesn't mean we're flipping apartments, but you want to have that exit strategy available to you. It's always good to have an emergency chair there when the music stops, because when you're playing musical chairs, which is the world of commercial financing, you don't know when that balloon payment comes due, what that chair is going to look like that's sitting right in front of you, right? So what is the uh, the general rent you're trying to have per door that you're looking for? So it's interesting. This The first 120 units I bought, I, I strategically bought them all in affordable housing space, right? I did that because at the time in which I started investing in commercial multifamily, obviously, again, June 20 of 2020, that was at the height of COVID. All of this, the SARE funds and all of that didn't exist yet. All the operators who had, you know, A and B and C class stuff that didn't have guaranteed rents were being hosed and, you know, all of that. So for me, I was like, well, I, I want to start the base of my portfolio with as much guaranteed rents as possible so I can have Section 8 other subsidized rents, et cetera. I'm using Section 8 and other subsidized rents in my market. I'm actually outperforming market rent in those areas, right? So say, for instance, on a on a one bed, one bath unit market is probably seven fifty to eight. I could get nine fifty section eight in, in these areas that I'm buying in, right? Um two bed I could get up to twelve hundred even sometime. So the one beds we can get as much as, you know, nine fifty to a thousand section eight. And then the two beds, in some cases, we can get as high as 1200 bucks. So you're looking for anything between 900 to 1200 a door. And of course, not every door is the same, right? So you're going to have a mix of one bedrooms and two bedrooms in here. But that does give people a pretty good understanding of like a target to shoot for if they have a market similar to Detroit. Now, what are some of the things that would automatically disqualify a property? You don't care what the numbers are, what the price is. Is there neighborhood issues? Is there flood issues? Is there crime issues? Is there like building age issues or certain things in a building that you don't want to mess with? Mm -hmm. Well, before I answer that, I I do want to just put one more caveat on the market rent piece, right? Because although I evaluate these deals and I know that my target rents are section eight rents, which are outperforming market, but I also underwrite the deals from a market rate perspective, right? I keep that in mind because if for whatever reason I had to put a market rate tenant in there, I don't want to, I don't want to overshoot what I can really get by assuming I'll be able to guarantee that I'll have the higher performing rents in there. So I underwrite the deals more conservatively to make sure that I got that wiggle room and agility if it came to that. So I just wanted to clarify that point so that people weren't too overzealous in their approach. What are some things that you would just say, nope, I'm not going to mess with it? Is there an age of the apartment you don't want to deal with? Are there neighborhood metrics or statistics that would cause it to be disqualified? Yeah, I buy a C minus, even D plus, but uh I won't I won't buy any S properties. Like I'm not I'm not doing that. 
I've got a question. I mean, it seems like you you have a pretty good system for how to underwrite and how to pad it in a bit where you're coming in a little bit more conservatively. Let's talk about the funding a little bit, because I think right now with everything going on, I'd imagine commercial lending is probably not all that favorable. What's your experience been in the last 12 months as it pertains to getting loans and getting funding on some of these commercial multifamily properties? Yeah, you know, to Dave's point earlier when he said how finicky it is, it is so weird. Like you can literally start the underwriting process, have an application in, have an approval. And then two weeks later, they're like, yeah, we can't, we can't do it. Like the markets have changed that much in that short period of a time. I've seen more stability as of late, uh, 12 months ago ish. We, uh, we were trying to refinance a larger unit and we ended up having to do a second, a second round of bridge debt on it just to wait because the, the the product that was available was so outrageous, like the bridge debt was actually better to some degree. And so we've been fortunate that our our unit still performed with the bridge debt. Okay. And um but we've we've also had some other refis that have gone through that we put 30 year debt on recently as well. I'm actually hopefully by the time I get off of here, I've got a six unit that I've got an appraisal coming back on today. That hopefully will get closed out on a refinance next week in a in a thirty year debt. So it, the, what I can say is the last forty five days I've seen things open up in the in the in the lending market again. But twelve months ago, yeah, it was brutal for sure. Yeah. So how are you combating this? Because I know are you just doing the bridge bridge debt and hoping that it kind of works out once that bridge debt is done? Or yeah, like is is bridge debt kind of the answer to some of the wonkiness that's going on right now? It is. I think because my strategy also changed, I'm more comfortable with bridge debt than most operators because we're buying these things vacant, which requires bridge debt anyway, right? Either you use an all private capital or you you got to use a bridge because you know we're doing several hundreds of thousands of dollars on on rehabs on these properties. So we've been again fortunate because we've been buying at such a deep discount that our deals still cash flow with the bridge debt. You know what I mean? It's not great. But but it is it better than not. Yeah. Okay, we're about to take one more quick break, but stick around because when we come back, Brian's going to tell us how he's combating the risks of bridge debt, which is a huge topic right now. What kind of profit his portfolio is actually making and the markets he sees the most potential in right after this break. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Are you about to sell a property? Wait like 60 seconds because this could save you thousands. Our friends at 1031 Pros have saved their clients more than half a billion dollars with a B in taxes with 1031 tax deferred exchanges. With the 1031 exchange, you can say goodbye to the huge capital gains taxes when selling and roll your property's profit into another investment that could make you even more. Whether you're an individual investor, part of a larger group, or a title or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help. Trust me, I've done 1031 exchanges on multiple properties before, and it has saved me tens of thousands in taxes, if not more. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges, and they specialize in all types of exchanges, delayed, simultaneous, reverse, and improvement exchanges in all 50 states. And right now, Bigger Pockets listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com slash BP. That's my1031pros.com slash BP to get $250 off today. Oh, and make sure to mention Bigger Pockets when you call. They take care of our people over there. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. 
and you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. And we're back. Brian Adamson is here and we're talking about how he's making multifamily deals work in today's market when everybody else is scared of them. Let's jump back in. Can you give us just a quick refresher on how bridge debt works? Because we've talked about it enough where I think there's some people at home that are like, I don't really quite understand that concept. Just what does that mean? So most of our acquisitions will get 75% of the purchase, right? Which means that we have to put 25% down and then they'll cover 100% of our rehab. Okay. So in that instance, you know, depending on what the totality of the project is, you know, we'll uh, we'll immediately take out a 12 year, I mean, 12 month or even a 24 month, depending on how the scope of the project, because it's cheaper money if you pay for it up front that you need an extension versus doing that on the back end. But essentially bridge that is is designed to help operators get going on a project to bring it to a place of stability so that then you can get long term financing on it from uh, a more conservative institution. Got it. So the idea is we're trying to kind of have this extension with bridge debt for as long as we can, hoping that the current market rates maybe go down a bit and we can refinance long term into longer term debt that uh, is lower interest. For sure. For sure. 100%. Awesome. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your portfolio now. I know you mentioned you have 100 units across 12 properties today. What does that look like in terms of profit? Is that, uh, you know, people hear the big numbers. Is it more profitable than one would think? Is it not as profitable? Give us an idea of the cash flow of a portfolio that size. Man, I love this question, Rob. You know, I, I'm always preaching this from my platform and in my community because I think a lot of new investors, especially, they, they're off on this, right? Like I've got, don't get me wrong. I think there's a place for both. Okay. Especially on the tax and depreciation, right? Like there's a place for both, okay? But at the very same time, I want the new investor listening to this to understand you may make more money on a four unit than you would on even a 20 unit in some cases. And that's all predicated on what percentage of that deal do you own? So you hear a lot of people that may say, oh, I got a thousand doors and I'm not knocking this. I'm just bringing context to it. They may own three to 5% of that, right? That's not horrible, but at the end of the day, it's more of a trophy than it is something that can help them go on vacation. That I can promise you. And so don't compare your unique starting point to those that have a big door count because you may be printing money when they're not. Door count is the most useless metric anyone could ever give. It always happens at a meetup and they always say it to newbies. I, I felt through the same thing when I was new, when I felt this big, when I'm listening to these people talk about all these doors. And then I find out my net worth was like eight times theirs because I had six properties, but I owned all of them <laughs> and they didn't. And I realized that people just start to say, I got 12 doors, but they don't tell you it's a garage door, a screen door, a front door, a bathroom door, a side door, <laughs> a cabinet door. <laughs> it's not all the same. So I'm so glad that you're, that you're mentioning this. Yeah, it's important. It's important because I've got you know, a four unit, for instance, that I bought a couple of years ago. I want to say all in, we were at like a hundred, maybe one ten, 
And the debt service on that thing, pity payment is like 900 bucks, principal, interest, tax, and insurance. We bring in, I think that one gross is 3,200. So we, we net every bit of two grand a month on that, on that property. Right. And so that, I mean, those are great numbers, right? And those types of deals exist. And so, you know, on our larger units, I own on average 40 to 50%. That's so, that's, that's healthy though. That that's more than pretty healthy. Yes. It's pretty healthy for sure. I mean, because the way in which I structure my deals, the larger stuff anyway, typically I open up 50% for limited partners, 50% for general partners. So for, for the newbie that wants to get into jumping up to that space, understand that banks are going to require that you have experience where well, it's like, well, how do I get experience if I don't have experience? It's a great question. And so you, you have you the wow. internship conundrum, <laughs> right? Is where where you need eight internships before they'll consider you for the internship. This is my my biggest frustration in college, and I was like, I can't I can't become an intern without becoming an intern first. What do you want from me? One hundred percent. And so you need to go out and find somebody called a sponsor, right? And with these sponsors, you can have them participate in the deal from an equitable equitable position. You could pay them outright, or you could do a combination of both. And so although I had 14 years of experience when I got started, my first couple of deals, I had to bring in a sponsor. And so after that, though, then my equity position increased because I was able to sign off on my own debt and didn't need somebody didn't need to bring somebody in and give up a piece of the deal. And so my encouragement, though, in saying all of that is start where you stand. Some people give up 80 percent of their deal and all 20 percent when they start. Right. Some people give up 90 percent and 10 percent, you know. I don't believe any investor should work for free, but I also think that you should be open minded to what the ultimate goal is and start building toward that. Don't worry about hitting a home run on your first one. Just keep hitting base hits and let that thing grow organically. Okay. So that being said, I mean, we make tens of thousands of dollars a month. You know, it's um we've got, you know, a couple million dollars in equity, you know, given I don't know where the market is right now, somewhere between three to five, I would say, and uh, it make tens of thousands of dollars in profit a month. That's fantastic, and I think I think what you said honestly is very fair because I, I don't really like to poo poo the the door count thing because there are so many scenarios and so many times where new investors are bad at negotiating and they'll take a bad deal just to get a free house, and you might say, all right, yeah, you can have seventy five percent equity, I'll take twenty five percent. And I'll manage it for free just so that I can get into this deal. And so a lot of investors get into these types of deals where they work for free for a long time. And I think it's fair to be proud of maybe a partnership like you're talking about where in your instance, uh, I mean, you have a little bit more probably equity than than the people I'm talking about here. But I think it's fair to say, hey, I'm working for free to get into this property. And I think that to me is like a free... The concept of partnering with someone to get a quote unquote free property is something to be proud of versus the actual arbitrary number of how many doors that might be. Yeah, I can see it both ways. I think the thing I cringe most about when people work for free, though, you got to have a lot of confidence in whomever that person is that's making you all these promises or broken promises even. But I agree with you. We got to be humble and start where we stand. It's just that we got to make sure that whatever door we walk through, even if it is for free, that it's going to lead us to the the actual thing that we truly love. Could not agree more. Could that second opportunity 
rarely comes in those scenarios. So I agree with you there. And I think that's super fair to bring up. Now, I understand that you're working on achieving cash flow by actually paying attention to the asset, right? Which can only happen if you move away from this passive investing approach. That's a personal thing with me. I've lost a lot of money over the years. I've seen a lot of other people lose money over the years by thinking that you just buy a property and forget about it. You stop paying attention to it. What's your thoughts on achieving cash flow by keeping costs down and paying attention to the asset, sort of treating it like something like a business or a child, something you have to pay attention to versus the way that real estate is often discussed where you just buy it and you never think about it again and money just shows up. Yeah. We got to stop telling this lie that rental properties are passive income. You know what I mean? There's nothing passive about it if you want it to be successful in my experience. Right. And so for me, it's about keeping your pulse on what's going on at all times uh, making sure that you're meeting with property management companies regularly. We got like a weekly cadence where I meet with my property management company in addition to the weekly report that they send me. Because, you know, even I believe monthly may be a little too loosey goosey because by the time you find out something 30, 45 days later, that thing can evolve into a 90 day problem really quick. And so I like having a cadence and a rhythm of meeting with them weekly and really just monitoring more so the effectiveness and efficiency of the operation as opposed to the the money that comes out of it. Yeah, that's literally the same cadence I use. It's weekly meetings. And I've actually stopped meeting with Rob every week. And just uh, to highlight this, as you can see, his shirt is halfway unbuttoned now. He's showing more chest than he ever has. If you guys are watching on YouTube, you see what I'm talking about. This is an example of how quickly things fall apart when you stop paying attention. Rob? I, I can't afford to have the button re-sewed on, so... Uh, my, the trials and tribulations I've faced, uh, is taking the buttons off my shirts. But what you're saying, Brian, is that you can't passively make $10,000 a month and live on a beach and sit my ties just like all the TikTokers say? Hasn't been my experience, Rob. Has not been my experience. It's kind of funny how not passive Airbnb can be for me. I have a property manager slash assistant and she, in theory, does all of the managing for me. But I live a whole life that sh- that I shield her from that she doesn't even know about. Even meeting with your property managers weekly, there's just so much work and strategy that goes into making sure that your property managers are also properly property managing your portfolio. 100%. They, they essentially need to become a partner in your business. And if you don't build that kind of synergy and alignment with them, you know, then they just become another expense, right? And so I want to make sure that, you know, my property m- management company feels like a partner and that, you know, they treat my business as their own in my absence. And so, you know, I, I invest remotely. That's been a great strategy for me for the over the last decade. And whenever I'm in town, I'm I'm doing I'm spending less time looking at my properties. I'm spending more time with the people that are tending after my properties. And I just think that's a really, really key piece. We could do an entire show just on this. And maybe one day we will, Brian, because it's like, I just want to shout it from the rooftops. You got to make up for 10 years of bad information people have been hearing that real estate is passive. So Brian, I got one last question for you before we let you get out of here. What are some markets that you are bullish on or you think people should be considering similar to how you found Detroit that are worth investigating right now? Yeah, I I think uh, Milwaukee is one of those places, uh, I believe. Definitely Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, parts of North Carolina. Uh, a lot of people in my community are doing things in Georgia, even. Lithonia, Atlanta, some of those outskirts uh, surrounding Atlanta. 
I, I just think the yields in those markets are really good, right? And, and just to be clear, it's a good market in every market, right? It's just about what is good because I think that's relative to the investor. And your specific strategy. That's what I'm getting at. For what you're doing, the way you look at a deal, you feel those markets are uh, have a higher than average probability of finding a deal that'll work. For sure. All right. And do you think people should stay away from commercial or do you think now is a good opportunity to get into it? I think it's a great time if you don't know it to learn it and then jump right into it. Like at 100 percent. But but I but I believe that we have to get out of this idea that just because it's cheap, we should buy it. It's the fastest way to lose money. Right. Because cheap properties are expensive. So make sure that you really understand how to evaluate these deals and you don't get overzealous just because of the discounts that you see. Brian. Thanks for being here, man. I appreciate it. This was really good stuff. If you guys would like to learn more about Brian or Rob or I, you can find our information in the show notes. Let us know on Instagram what you thought about today's show and how happy were you that a guest actually gave the numbers, the metrics, and even cities that he likes to invest in when nobody else ever wants to give those details. Well done, Brian. We appreciate you, man. I'm going to let you get out of here. This is David Green for Rob. What are you doing with email? Abasolo signing off. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.